Father, thank you, God, for how you continue to speak to us, Lord. You show us so many things, God, and sometimes it's overwhelming. Lord, as you open our eyes and you do surgery on our hearts, and God, you do all these things and you reveal so much to us, Lord. Sometimes it's just overwhelming as we try to digest all that you're showing us and all that you're doing in us. But God, I pray that that wouldn't cause fear within us. It wouldn't distract us from you being able to do work on us. God, I, I pray that, that we would just be able to listen closely to you and focus in on you. And, and Lord, we would, I, I know, God, I know in my own life, it, it's, it's hard sometimes when I see all that you're doing and all that you're saying to me. God, it, it, sometimes it's difficult to focus in and, and listen and just see in this situation that we're in what we're supposed to learn. God, but I know that, that your sovereign hand is over every single thing that happens in our life. And, and God, I trust that. And I praise your name for that. But Lord, I, I just, I, I need clarity. I need you to show me what I'm supposed to learn each and every day. God, I know that it's difficult for me to learn in any other way but through pain. So Lord, even if it causes pain, Lord, I pray that I would learn and I would grow more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. So God, teach us all now. Lord, and if that has to come through pain, then so be it. God, do what you need to do in this place, and we'll be sure to give you the glory for it all because, God, you deserve all the praise. God, thank you so much, Lord, for this precious word that we're about to open and look into and how you speak to us through it. And, and Lord, I just praise your name for that. So, Lord, be glorified now and this time as well. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All right. So, you know, to be honest with you, I'm sometimes tempted to cut a story short. Like if I see that, that we're going through a story and we've been going through it for a while and I say, well, you know, people are getting tired of this. You know, they've heard it a million times. And I, for the new people that come in, I have to regurgitate the story for just like 30 seconds. You're like, man, I'm tired of hearing it, Kenny. And, and like I, I kind of go, eh, should we continue on or should we cut it short? Should we end right here? I'm going to resist that temptation, and we're just going to keep going with the story of Joseph because I feel like that's what God would have us to do. Um, I, I don't want to rush through the end and, and us be like, well, we kind of skipped over this, we kind of skipped over that. I want us to, to actually dig into it and continue to go through the story of Joseph <coughs> because I don't want us to miss anything. There's something in here that God needs to say to somebody, and I don't want to miss that. I don't want to gloss over it. I don't, I don't want to miss it because I, I, I'm just concerned that, that people may be getting tired of it. I, I just I want us to, when we look at God's Word and we, we look at what God is trying to say to us, I don't want us to think that there are certain things that may be more important than others. God's Word has so much to say to us, and there's so much depth there. I don't want us to miss anything. And when you go in your personal study time with God's Word, I know, like when you read Ecclesiastes, when you read Leviticus, it's, it's like, man, I don't, I don't know necessarily what this is saying to me, Kenny. I promise you, if you will stick with it, if you will stay with God's Word, and you continue to, to go to church, and you continue to come on Sundays and Wednesdays and learn more and more about God's Word, I promise you, you'll start to put the pieces together and you'll see more. 
It, it takes a while. It does. Admittedly, it takes a while. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm going to tell you, it takes a while for you to really, like you got this timeline that you're trying to put together in your head, or when did this happen, and, and where's the Old Testament fall, and, and like there was a temple, and, and I know, and then there was Jesus, and he said that he was like the temple, and, and then there was a temple that would like destroy it after Jesus left. Like I, I know that it, it's hard to get it all. I got it, okay? But, but let me tell you something. When you stick with it, when you continue to learn, I promise you, God will reveal stuff through the power of his Holy Spirit. God will continue to, to like make things click in your mind. You go, like, oh, I get it now. I didn't get it before, but I get it now. And hopefully that's what's happening here in Simple Church is that, that people are able to understand God's word in, in a new way. And they're like, they're like, you know what? I used to just sit in church and just like zone out because I didn't really know what was going on. I didn't really know how to connect it all. And I hope, my hope and my prayer is that we present God's word in such a way where it's some stuff starts to click for you. That, that's, that's what God laid upon my heart. That's the way Jesus taught, you know. He, did, he wasn't like this terribly complex guy that, that went around. And, and sometimes now he would talk in stories and people would be confused about what the stories meant. You ever read a story in the Bible been confused about what it really meant? Yeah, right? It happens. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Some of those stories God was, was showing, it's like you've got to rely on the Holy Spirit in order to be able to understand what I'm really talking about. But Jesus spoke in a simple way so that people could understand it. I mean, he would talk to farmers, and he would talk to them about sowing seed, and they're like, oh, I get that. I know what it's like to sow seed. Yeah, he would, he would talk to travelers, and he'd talk about a camel going through a gateway that was called the eye of the needle. He, and when they saw the eye of the needle gateway in, in, in the walls, and they would be like, oh, I know what he's talking about there. And it would remind them of things that God had said through Jesus Christ. And they'd be like, okay, I get it. I hope and I pray that that's what's happening in your life. Is that God is starting to, to make some things click. And you're like, man, I understand this in a new way. And I used to zone out in church. I used to not really pay attention so much. But I kind of get it now. And I kind of like paying attention, right? That's what I hope is happening here. I, I, you, people are like, you're going to air some dirty laundry here. Can you? Yeah, I am a little bit. I wasn't raised in church. I, I mean, we went to church some, but I was, for the most part, I really wasn't raised in church. Okay? I mean, we, like we off and on, we would go from time to time. And the, the first youth trip I ever went on was when I went as an adult, as a leader. I, I'm just being honest with you. So if you feel like you're an adult and you've kind of missed out because you weren't raised in church and you don't know all the stories about, uh, you know, Jonah and, and like Moses and Noah, and you're like, man, not all that stuff. I don't have that history. Kenny, can I, can I really be used of God? Can I really learn some stuff about the Bible? I, I hope I'm a testimony to that fact. I, I hope I'm a testimony to the fact that, that you can start learning as an adult for the most part. That's when I really started learning about this book, really, was as an adult. That's really where I started learning. Now, I heard some stories like everybody else, you know. I knew about the big boat and the animals two by two. I knew all that stuff, you know. I'd heard that just like every kid has. But for the most part, as far as learning this book, I really did that as an adult. So don't think for one second that God can't use you because you don't have all that history. Um, we didn't have a dysfunctional family, my family. Uh, I know that we're talking about Jacob and his family, and this is Extreme Makeover Home Edition. It's the name of the series. I didn't have an, ex an extremely dysfunctional family or anything like that. Yeah, we had our issues like anybody else. My parents are like cringing right now because they're in the room. They're like, oh my gosh, what is he going to say? But brothers and sisters, 
They have their issues, right? Uh, my brother and my sisters happen to be older than me. There was some turmoil there. I'll admit that. Brothers and sisters are not supposed to like each other. I think that's biblical, isn't it? I think that's what we've seen in this series is that brothers and sisters, they don't like each other. You probably were not astounded by the fact that when we started talking about Joseph that his brothers wanted to kill him. You're like, yeah, I can see that. Um, my sister, for whatever reason, this was always confusing to me. She always wanted to play games with me, like board games and stuff, and accuse me of cheating. I have no idea why that was. I think it's because anytime I won, she couldn't accept that I was winning. She would just accuse me of cheating, and the only way he possibly could have won is because he was cheating. That used to make me really angry. I mean, like, really, really angry. You know what I mean? It didn't matter. I would be like, I'm not cheating this time, okay? I'm legitimately winning, and you're accusing me of cheating, and I don't like that very much. You know, I'm actually legit winning here, and you're accusing me of cheating, and and I would do something ugly or whatever to my sister. I won't go into those details. But anyway, so I would do something to her, and, and she would cry out to my mother, Mom! like that. And before she could say anything, I would say, she's hitting me. So it would be my voice, like I had cried out to her. Yes, yeah, it's just a little bit of me confessing sin to you from the pulpit. That's okay. But that was one of the, that was one of the things that I used to do that she just like burned her up. And, you know, you're supposed to, heap coals on their head by being nice to them. I didn't really do that with my sister so much. I just wanted to heap coals on her head. But anyway, um, but yeah, so we had our issues like anybody else. Um, I, I can remember specifically, uh, I probably told you this story before, but that's okay. I'll tell you again. That's what I usually do. Um, so we, we had um, family trips that we took, and for whatever reason, we'd always take the, these, these family trips, it would take like 40 years and, you know, to get somewhere. You know what I'm talking about? Like, was Moses driving the car? You know, like, I don't... Uh, but anyway, so it would be a long, long road trip. I don't know why we thought we would endure long road trips. That's not wise when you have small kids, but whatever. We did that like everybody else did. And, you know, I used to ride on the little hump in the middle, you know, with no seat belt on, no car seat, or ride in the back window, you know, because you get bored and it was a lot cooler up there or whatever, so... Yeah, that's what it was like to be a child uh, in my day and age. And a lot of you guys can identify with that. But anyway, so my parents would put me in the front. We would always start out me riding in the front seat in the middle between my mom and my dad, right? My brother and sister in the back seat. And, of course, they were going to fight. That was natural. That was going to happen. You know, they draw the line down the middle of the seat. You can't cross this line, blah, 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 you know. So... It was always fun to hear them in the backseat arguing and fighting and slapping and hitting and all that kind of stuff. But as a small child, I always wanted to get in the middle of that. I didn't want to just let all the action happen in the backseat and me be stuck in the front seat. I didn't want that to happen. I had to be in the middle of it, you know, so I would beg, and please put me in the back seat. I promise I won't cause a problem. I promise that I'll, I'll be the one that will reconcile all the family issues in the back seat, and I, <laughs> I will be the Jesus in the back seat, and I will make everything okay. You can put me back there, and it will be good, right? Well, of course, that's what happened, right? So finally, my parents, after, you know, 16 hours of me whining about it, they allow me to get in the back seat, and I'm back there in the middle, and I'm, I'm stoked, right? Like, you know, I'm a little kid that... My brother and sister are way bigger than me, you know, and I'm, you know, and before you know it, you know, it's always put, put my hand over here, hand over there, you know, and, and they're, they're hitting me and I'm hitting them back and, you know, the whole thing's going on, you know, as brothers and sisters normally do. 
Well, finally, it reaches fever pitch, and everybody's, like, screaming, and blah, 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 you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's bad in the back seat, right? Like, I mean, everybody's ready to royal rumble in the back seat, and my mom has had enough, right? Mom has had enough. Now, I, I don't know about your mama. My mama always had one of two things in her possession. It was either a flip-flop or a fly swatter. <laughs> Some of y'all know my mama very well, and you know what I'm saying is true. Always in her possession was a flip-flop or a fly swatter. Um, I used to go to school and be like, look what my mama did to me, a fly swatter imprint on my leg, you know. <laughs> Teachers are like, should we be calling somebody, you know. Uh, I know I never do anything wrong here at school. Do I? Uh, but anyway, so my mom with, with her, uh, her flip-flop, turns around, and, and she's about to, to unleash the fury of God on the back seat, right, with her flip-flop. And what, what do my brother and sister do? Do they, do they cover up this, the youngest one? Do they, they guard him and say, we'll take the punishment for you. Don't worry. We're the ones that have been the instigators, and, and don't worry. <laughs> no. What do they do? Shoom, like this, through the outside window. I'm stuck in the middle. They're hanging out the windows, you know what I mean? Like trying to avoid the flip-flop. I'm in the middle, and all I can do is sit there like, like a koala bear or something in the middle, and I'm all hunkered down, shaking, you know? And, you know, thankfully, I was the scapegoat of the family and took all the beatings for them since they were in the back seat with me doing nothing. And I was stuck right in the middle under the fury of the flip-flop. But I hold, I hold no bitterness about it. I'm not bitter about it. I'm not... I'm not retaining those memories or anything like that. I've forgiven them completely, and I don't talk about that in public or anything like that. I don't do that anymore <laughs> because I have a forgiving heart, so it doesn't bother me anymore. So when I tell you this story in another six weeks, uh, please forgive me for doing that. <laughs> Families have issues, though, don't they? I mean, I, you know, flip-flops and, you know, yeah-yeah in the back. See, that's not, that's not big stuff, and some families got some bigger issues than that. Right? I know, man, we've had our own issues, too. We got aunts and uncles and cousins and stuff, man. They got, you know, prison sentences and all this kind of stuff that they're dealing with. And, and you know, families, when they go at each other, it's, it's not, you know, it's not with a flip-flop. It's with a gun, you know. Some of that stuff happens. That's reality for a lot of people. We see uh, the story of Joseph, and he's got some issues with his family. His dad likes him a lot. His dad says he's his favorite, gives him a coat to let him know that. And his brothers are really jealous. They, they hate that about him. And they, they really don't like the fact that Joseph is a favorite. And he even goes so far as to tell him about these dreams that God shows him where he, they're all going to bow down to him one day. And they're like, man, that, we don't like this dude even more. And, and they say, one of, one of the brothers says, hey, I know what we'll do. We'll kill him. Here he comes again. Let's kill him. And the guy goes, no, 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 no. One of his brothers, Reuben, actually has compassion on him. Says, "You know what? Uh, why don't we just why don't we just put him down in this little, little cistern, this little water pit, and we'll we'll, we'll leave him there." Uh, and and they say, "Yeah, that's a good idea." And and uh, he was planning on coming back and getting him, but when he came back, it turns out his other brothers had sold him into slavery. So so Joseph's really not done anything wrong, but he's getting sold into slavery. And one thing after another happens. He goes he goes to prison. Uh, people forget about him. He spends a long time in prison for a, a crime he didn't commit. And then he, 
He gets taken out by Pharaoh eventually and gets put second in command. And he gets put second in command because he tells Pharaoh that there's a big famine coming in the land where, where like everything is going to be shriveled up and withered and it's not going to be any food, no grain, nothing for them to eat, and, and it's going to be bad. And he says, but before the famine comes, there's going to be seven good years we can store up everything. So Pharaoh says, okay, man, since you know all this stuff and you're a godly man and a wise man, then, then uh, what we'll do is we'll put you second in command and nobody's going to do anything unless you say to do it. So you're going to be my right-hand man. And then what happens? Sure enough, the good times come, the bad times come. Thankfully, Egypt has stored up enough, uh, enough grains and stuff so that they can survive and so much so that they can even sell it to other places that are starving. They're, they're, they're dying. And Jacob's family happens to be one of the families that is starving. They're, they're dying. They're, they're, they got nothing in the cupboard. And they, they, they finally, they, Jacob says, guys, you got to go get us some food. Well, they, he sends out the boys to go get the food in Egypt. They go up to this guy. They don't really know who he is, but it turns out it's Joseph. But they don't recognize him. He looks like an Egyptian. He's got his head shaved. He, he speaks like an Egyptian. And, you know, but, but Joseph... He's not really an Egyptian. He's one of them. That's his brothers, and he sees them, and he's like, oh, my gosh, it's my brothers. Now, we said that Joseph was a godly man, that, that there's no evidence in, in the Scriptures that he ever really did anything wrong. And, you know, one of the things that Joseph does is he doesn't just wipe away all that they've done and the fact that they wanted to kill him and the fact they sold him into slavery. He didn't just say, it's all forgiven. Don't worry about it. Don't, I, hey, I'm your brother. It's all good. Don't worry about it. Just uh, take some food and go home. He doesn't do that. I, I told you last week that I believe that Joseph was doing two things. One is he was allowing his brothers to prove themselves. He was allowing uh, them to show that they are changed and different and that that Jacob's household is getting an extreme home makeover. But I also said that Joseph was being obedient to God in doing so. So as God was using Joseph in order, through forgiveness now, allowing them to repent, allowing them to understand the wrong that they committed by, by, by telling, <clears throat> they told Jacob, they told Joseph's dad, they said, man, your, your son's dead. They know that they'd sold him into slavery. They told him he's dead. He assumes, Jacob assumes his son is dead. In reality, sold into slavery and eventually became second in command in Egypt. And the whole time Jacob's thinking he's dead. Well, man, these brothers, they've got to deal with that at some point. And we've been dealing with the fact that some of us got some stuff in our past that we've got to deal with. In order for us to be used of God the way that he wants us to use us, sometimes we've got to deal with some stuff in the past. And we can't just let bygones be bygones. Sometimes we've got to bring it to the forefront and say, all right, God, what are you going to do with this? And some of us in this place, we've got some stuff in our past that we've got to deal with. I don't know who you are. I don't know what it is in your past. But when we give God the keys to our lives and say, I want to be a Christian, I want to be a Christ follower, you give him the keys to the skeletons in the closet too. He owns everything, your past, your present, and your future. And here we see God dealing with not only Joseph's past and his brother's past, but also Jacob. Jacob, I mean, Jacob's kind of had, had a messed up childhood of his own. Jealousy and, and favoritism, something that's kind of been in his past with his brother Esau. And I mean, it's just kind of ugly. And, and Jacob really hasn't learned all the stuff that he needs to learn. And God's really trying to teach them some things in here. And let me tell you something. When we read God's word, 
God is using some things that come to mind when we talk about God's Word. He's using some things that come into your mind to teach you some stuff. And I talked about before, just a few minutes ago, how we really don't learn stuff unless it comes through pain. Isn't that right? I mean, we learn some stuff when things are good, but when things are really bad, we really learn some stuff, right? Like with flip-flops and fly swatters. We learn through pain, right? And unfortunately, for Jacob's family, they've got to learn some stuff, and it's got to come through pain. One of those ways is suffering because there's no food in the cabinet. and They go back, and they, they, they find Joseph, and they didn't know it's him, but he basically he, he starts to test them a little bit, and he says, he's all right, so is your dad still alive? And they're like, oh, yeah, he's still alive. He's, you got some other brothers? Got, yeah, we got a brother. He's, he's, he's back home. Turns out the brother that was back home, his name's Benjamin. He's the youngest one. This is the one who Joseph is like his for real brother because they share the same mother. So these other guys, they've, been, they, they, they've got different mothers. But, but, but uh, Joseph shares a, a mother with Benjamin, and Benjamin's the youngest one. And he's like, well, i tell you what you can do. You can, you can take the food and you can go back, but uh, I, I'm going to keep one of you here in prison until you come back and bring the youngest one back with you. And that's where we see the situation right now as we begin in uh, chapter 43 this week. But famine continued to uh, ravage the land of Canaan. When the grain they had bought, brought from Egypt was almost gone, Jacob said to his sons, Go back and buy a little more food, us a little more food. But Judah said, The man was serious when he warned us. You won't see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send Benjamin with us, we will go down and buy more food. But if you don't let Benjamin go, we won't go either. Remember, the man said, you won't see my face again unless your brother is with you. He says, man, I, I mean, Judas, he's kind of like the, the leader in the household. He's kind of like the oldest brother and kind of taking charge and stuff. And he's like, look, this guy was serious when he told us that, that we, we shouldn't come back unless we got our youngest brother with us, Benjamin, with us. And look what Jacob says. Now, you've got to understand, Jacob's still got some stuff to learn. Jacob's the dad, and, and he, he's, God's still got to teach him some stuff because we see some things that are still wrong with Jacob. Look what Jacob says. Why were you so cruel to me, Jacob moaned? Why did you tell him you had another brother? What was Jacob saying there? What was Jacob saying? Listen, listen, listen. The man kept asking us questions about our family, they replied. He asked, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? So we answered his questions. How could we have known, uh, how could we know uh, he would say, bring your brother down here? What's going on here? It's almost as, as if Jacob is saying this. How could you do this to me? Why didn't you do what I would have done in that situation? Why didn't you just lie? Why did you have to go and tell him you had another brother? Why did you have to go and tell him I was still alive? You did this to me, pointing the fingers at all the other brothers. You're the ones that did this because you didn't lie. You could have just lied and said, man, this, this is all of us. And these guys are like, we're just talking to the guy. We didn't know that we were even supposed to be lying. I think this is evidence of, of Jacob ha having still some some unrighteous qualities about him that God is trying to purify out of him. 
Now, thank goodness, I am so proud to say that none of us in here have any issues with lying. Right? We are all completely honest and upfront. And we don't have any, any issues in, in, our, in the back of our mind with lying. Right? It was like this giant sigh that just went across everybody. I think he's talking to me again. I'm going to have to go up to him at the end of the sermon and say, why were you talking to me specifically? I saw you looking at me when you said that about lying. I saw you lock eyes with me. That's what happens every time, right? Why were you looking at me when, I, when you said that about lying? I wasn't looking at you. I was looking at everybody, just like I always do. No, no. When you said that about lying, you were looking at me. I know you were. Maybe it was Jesus looking at you, but it wasn't me. And lying is, is one of those things that's become so prevalent. I mean, I, and it's just not. It, I mean, we, we, we're told as kids, little white lies or whatever, you know. And we, it starts out that way, but it grows, right? It starts out as little white lies. It doesn't seem to be significant, but before long, it, it becomes just a pattern of our life. We don't even realize it anymore. And this is so prevalent in the church today, right? I, it's incredibly prevalent in the church today, the fact that lying is so acceptable. It's an acceptable sin, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's acceptable sin. I, I want you to understand that it, it's probably one of the most devastating sins within the church. It really is. If you think about how pervasive it is as a sin and the impact that it has, lying is a terribly devastating sin that happens within the church. And it's become acceptable because it's, it's acceptable in our culture. I want you to know that if you really want God to do something in your life and you really ask him to purify you, one of the issues he's probably going to bring to mind, one of the things that's a skeleton in the closet is probably going to be the fact that you have lying has become a part of your nature. It has become a part of who you are so much so that you don't even recognize it anymore. Am I right? Yeah. It's become such a big issue uh, that we don't even notice it anymore. And I think a lot of that has to do with our culture. And as we become more and more like our culture and less and less like Jesus, then lying becomes the norm. Verse 8, Judah said to his father, send the boy with me and we will be on our way. Otherwise, we will die of starvation. And not only we, but you and our little ones, I personally guarantee you safety. You, you may hold me, per, hold me responsible if I don't bring him back to you. Then let me bear the blame forever. If we hadn't wasted all this time, we had gone and returned twice by now. So here, Judah is kind of stepping up. Judah is saying, put all the blame on me if, if I don't bring Benjamin back to you. He says, he says, you can blame me. Now, this is important because this is the guy that was the leader in selling his other brother into slavery. This is the leader that, that was wanting to have the other brother killed, and now you can see God doing something in his life. He said, I'm going to protect Benjamin with all that I am. Dad, you can trust me. That, that, there's a lot of backstabbing that goes on in this family, and man, it's difficult for Jacob to trust anybody, even his own sons, because they're always backbiting and, and, and working to try to get inheritance and all that kind of stuff. That's very common in those days. And Jacob's really got no reason to trust even his own family. And here Judah is saying, man, look, I am a changed man. I'm different. 
If I don't bring Benjamin back to you, you can blame me, hold me responsible forever. You can take whatever inheritance is due to me because I will take responsibility. God is doing something with Judah. God is forming him and shaping him and making him into the leader that he's supposed to be. And you can literally see the transformation happening right here in the pages of this book. And sometimes it's so hard to see in our own lives, right? Sometimes it's so hard to see when God puts situations in front of us and, and we become more and more like Christ and less and less like ourselves. Sometimes it's very hard to see that that's what God's doing because it just looks like pain. looks like a struggle. looks like difficulty. But we're learning and God is shaping and molding and changing us. There's something that somebody wrote on Facebook recently that I won't call them out by name, but, but they put on about this church and I was so tickled to death by these words. It said, Come as you are, leave changed. I love that. We got to put that on a t shirt or something. Come as you are, but leave changed. That's what happened to Judah right here. That's what was happening in his life. He, he, he started out as this idiot, but God's starting to mold him and shaping him into a leader. That's what God did in my life. Now, sometimes I'm still an idiot. God has chosen me, and he's, he's shaped me, and he says, you know what? It's been painful, but, but we're going to get you there, man. And, and I, hope, I hope that you can see God doing the same thing in your life, and you're surrendering to it, and you're answering that call, and God is putting the challenge in front of you. Here, Judah's kind of stepping up his game. But he also points out the fact that, that Jacob is kind of a procrastinator a little bit, Right? So something else that God's got to kind of deal with in, in Jacob is the fact that he's putting things off. And Judas points it out. He says, man, we could have been there and back twice now if you'd let us go back when we needed to go. Now, once again, I'm so thankful we don't have any men in here as leaders of your family that are procrastinators. Why are all the women smiling? Have you ever known your husband to start a project but not finish it? Now, thankfully, I don't have that issue. Man, I am so thankful my wife is back there in the kids' ministry. She's back there, isn't she? She's back there in the kids' department? Okay, good. Yeah. So I don't have any of those things where I struggle with procrastination. Right? Here we see Jacob. He, he's, he's got that, and, and, and Judah points him. He calls him out on it and says, man, if you'd, have, if you'd have done what we needed to do way back when, he said, we'd already, we'd already been there and back twice by now. But no, you're dragging your feet. But luckily, Jacob is starting to learn. So, so their father Jacob finally said to them, if it can't be avoided, then at least do this. Pack your bags of the best products in the land. Take them down to the man as gifts. Balm, honey, gum, that's not Wrigley's, gum, aromatic resin, pistachio nuts and almonds. Hey, that's cool. You know, planters, that's cool. Also, take double the money that was put back in your sacks as it was probably someone's mistake. Take your brother and go back to the man. So finally he's surrendering. He's seeing God at work here and he sees that there's no other choice. And finally God is shaping Jacob and molding Jacob. He says, may God Almighty give you mercy as you go before the man so that they will release Simeon and let Benjamin return. But if I must lose my children, so be it. Oh, wait a second. If I must lose my children, so be it. That sounds like a man who's starting to have his heart changed. Think about how, how tightly he held on to Joseph, how much he loved him and cared about him. And, and Benjamin, Joseph's brother, he, he just he, he wouldn't let him go for anything. He said, man, 
if you take Benjamin, I'm not going to have any more kids if he gets lost. Now think about how the, the brothers must have felt when, when Jacob kind of expressed that sentiment. And we'll go over it again. It's, it's further down in this chapter. But here we see a man that's finally, God's starting to shape his heart and show him not to hold on so tightly. He says, but if I must lose my children, so be it. He sees that God is at work. He sees that God is challenging him. He sees that God is doing something great in him. So, so the men packed Jacob's gifts and doubled the money and headed off for the Benjamin. They finally arrived in Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph when Joseph saw. Now, they don't realize it's, it's Joseph, remember, okay? So they just know that, that he's like a leader in Egypt, and they, they, just, they don't know it's Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to his manager's household, Take these men, uh, these men will eat with me this noon. Uh, take them in, inside the palace. Then go and slaughter an animal and prepare a big feast. So the man did as Joseph told him and took them back to Joseph's palace. The brothers were terrified when they saw that they were being taken into Joseph's house. Because, it's because of the money someone put in our sacks the last time we were here, they said. He plans to pretend that we stole it. Then he will seize us and make us slaves and take our donkeys. Oh, no. What are they worried about? What are they worried about? They're worried about being made slaves. What did they do to Joseph? They made him a slave. Once again, we see God has turned the tables on Joseph and his brothers. Now, they're worried about being made slaves. The very thing they did to Joseph. The brothers approached the manager of Joseph's household and spoke to him at the entrance of the palace. Sir, they, they said, we came to Egypt once to buy food, but... As we were returning home, we stopped for the night and opened our sacks. We discovered that each man's money, the exact amount paid, was in the top of his sack. Here it is. We have brought it back with us. We also have additional money to buy more food. We had no idea who put our money in our sacks. So if you remember what happened is they got halfway home and they realized that the money they had given for the food was put back in their bags. Now Joseph planned this. He did this because he knew that they needed money. He didn't want to take their money. But it was also to test them and see if they would come back and say, man, this has happened. We, we sinned. We, we did something wrong here, and we want to make it right. And, and Joseph was, was testing these men to see if they would do that. The good news for them is they're passing the test. God is, has been shaping and molding their heart, and now they're repentant men, starting to understand what the difference between right and wrong is, and God's using this. Relax, don't be afraid, the household manager told them. Your God, the God of your fa father, must have put this treasure in your sacks. I know I received your payment. Then he released Simeon and brought him out to them. He says, he says your God is responsible. Your God is responsible for the blessing you received. Now I want you to listen to this very carefully. The whole message behind Joseph is that God is responsible. The God of your father is the God that's responsible. Everything in Joseph's life doesn't look so peachy keen. It doesn't look great. But God is the one that's responsible. And ultimately, it will lead to the good of the whole family of Jacob. Even though it looks like pain so many of the times, it turns out to be for good. Even release Simeon. As the manager led the men into Joseph's palace, he gave them water to wash their feet and provide food for their donkeys. They were told they would be eating there, so they prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon. This sounds like a soap opera, right? Like we continue on. So these are the days of our lives. That's when all soap operas happen, right? Noon time, it's right afternoon. You got nothing else to do. When Joseph came back home, they gave him gifts they had brought him. 
Then they bowed low to the ground before him. After greeting them, he said, How was your father, the old man you spoke about? Is he still alive? He's inquiring about his dad. You know why I think he's inquiring about his dad? This is really complex. You know why I think uh, uh, Joseph's inquiring about Jacob? Because he misses him. Because he loved him. He cared about him. They sold him into slavery so he couldn't see him anymore. And I think Joseph missed him. Just like he misses the brothers. He's seen the brothers. He missed Benjamin and they got to see Benjamin. They brought Benjamin with them this time. And now he's, he's asking about dad. How's dad? How's dad? Some of you don't have a relationship with your father. You don't know who your father is or for whatever reason or not. You, you don't know your dad. Maybe he's passed away. Maybe he passed away when you were at a young age. I don't know. And you miss him. And you miss him. I, I, I think that the natural human reaction is, man, just to miss him. Joseph's a godly man, and you know what he does? He misses his dad. It's okay. It's okay to miss your dad. Let God use that to shape you and mold you. And, 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 and through that, maybe you'll have a greater dependence on your heavenly father. Through that, maybe you'll understand God at work in your life and trying to show you that he is there for you. Just like God was there for Joseph, even when he was in prison and sold into slavery and all those times that his father wasn't there, he still had a heavenly father that was there for him. When Joseph looked at his brother, Benjamin, the son of his own mother, is this your youngest brother? The one you told me about, Joseph asked? May God be gracious to you, my son. Man, he's so happy to see his brother. He's so happy to see Benjamin. Man, they were close. They, they had the same mother, and they were, they were very close. Then Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. He went to his private room where he broke down and wept. After washing his face, he came back out, keeping himself under control. Then he ordered, bring out the food. Joseph was broken over the fact that he finally got reunited with his brother Benjamin. He, he, he went off into another room and he didn't want them to see that he was crying and upset because he had finally been reunited with his brother, but he, that's what was going on here. The waiters served Joseph at his own table and his brothers were served at a separate table. The Egyptians who ate with Joseph sat at their own table because the Egyptians despised Hebrews and refused to eat with them. Joseph told each of his brothers where to sit, and to their amazement he seated them according to age, from the oldest to the youngest. And Joseph filled their plates with food from his own table, giving Benjamin five times as much as he gave the others. So they feasted and drank freely with him. What a weird place to end, Kenny. What a weird place to just stop in the middle of that. What's going on here? Well, the Egyptians didn't really want to have anything to do with the Hebrews. They sat at a different table. But that didn't stop Joseph from inviting his brothers into his household, from welcoming them in. Yeah, he was putting them to a test to see if they were truly repentant, and God was using him as an instrument to bring them closer to God and, and make them more and more godly. But let me tell you something here. There is something that happens right at the end that we just kind of read through, and I hope that you saw it. He gave his brother Benjamin five times as much, right? He, 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 he filled his plate up five times more than what he gave the other brothers. And, and some people are like, well, maybe he just, 
Maybe he just loved his brother so much that he wanted to do that for him, and he was showing favoritism, and, and maybe Joseph had favoritism for Benjamin, and maybe that's what was going on here. Or maybe there's something else at work. Maybe, just maybe, God's doing something else through Joseph. He's trying to see if the other brothers will be jealous of Benjamin. Benjamin's got more. He's been blessed more. In this particular situation, he's got more. How will his brothers react? How will his brothers respond to, to, to a greater blessing for one of them than the rest of them? Will they be jealous? Will, will, they, will, they, will they be greedy and say, we don't want you to have more? Will they be filled with anger and rage so much so that the, the point where they want to kill him too? We don't see any evidence of that whatsoever. We see some transformed men that are just so happy to be together that that's the only thing that matters to them. This is God at work. This is God doing an extreme makeover in a home. The house of Jacob is getting revamped from the bottom to the top, from Jacob to Joseph to Benjamin to Simeon to all of the brothers because these will be the men that will make up the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob's name letter gets changed to Israel. And these are the men that are going to be the cornerstones of the faith. So God's going to shape them and mold them. You know what I, I saw when I was studying this? You know how God did this transformative work? This, look, if this don't give you cold chills, nothing will, okay? Do you realize what God did in order to do this extreme makeover in Jacob's household? Do you remember what his brother said to the dad about where, Jake, where Joseph was? They told Jacob, they said, well, your son's been killed. And he's no longer of use to us or our family anymore because he's dead. They took his coat, they covered it in blood from an animal and said, your son's dead. Sorry, dad. He's no longer useful to you anymore. He's no longer part of our family. His brothers really didn't know what happened to him either. His brothers probably thought he was dead too. They sold him into slavery. They didn't really care if he was dead or not. By all accounts, they'd written Joseph off and he, could, he was dead to them. So he was dead to his brothers. He was dead to his dad. And what did God do? God literally took Joseph and raised him from the dead. Joseph was literally, in, in the minds of, 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 of Jacob and his brothers, Joseph was dead. God literally rose Joseph from the dead to make an impact on their life and their family and be transformative into their whole family. You say, but he wasn't literally dead. No, I'm talking about figuratively speaking. He was, he was dead to all of them, but now he is alive, and he is alive in such a way that he is making an impact on their life. This is Jesus Christ was dead, but then he's alive for the sole purpose of making us transformed and making us more like him, showing us how we need to be, have surgery on our hearts and made new and, and be this new creation that God has, has got a plan for us to be. Literally, from the dead for that purpose. Jesus Christ rose from the dead to change you, to mold you, to shape you, you and your whole household for one purpose, for one purpose, 
so that God can receive glory from it all. And it's a painful process, and it's an ugly process sometimes, but that's how we learn. Let me pray. Father, thank you, God, for the testimony of Joseph and his brothers. And we all are messed up in so many ways. And just like his brothers, we, we got our issues and, and we got our, our faults and the bitter feelings and just nastiness within our hearts. God, but we know that in order to be able to be used by you in a greater, more beneficial way for your kingdom, Lord, we know that, that we have to be shaped and we have to be changed. And, and God, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And and as He is present right here in this place and present in our hearts, Lord, we know that he is, he is changing us and molding us and shaping us and showing us things through Your Word. So, Lord, I just pray that we would be like Jacob, we would be like Joseph, we'd be like Benjamin, like Simeon, we'd be like Judah. God, we, we would just be like these men and we would allow You to work in our lives, allow You to use the circumstances in our lives God, to make us more like your son, Jesus. May we live sacrificial lives. May we be willing to give up our, our own lives, God, so that other people can be brought into this family, so that other people can be brought alongside of us. God, so that they too can give up their lives, so that more and more people could be brought alongside us and into this family. God, this house, Jacob, has gotten a an extreme home makeover. And we, we've seen it happen right before our eyes. And God, there's still more work that has to be done. And we recognize that. But in our own lives, there's still work that has to be done. In our own household, there's still work that has to be done. God, may we not look at the pain of our lives and just see emptiness and no reason for it. May we see the glory of the fact that you are changing us. You are teaching us. God, there are people... Lord, in this very place, they need to come down to this altar. They need to sacrifice something to you. They need to sacrifice something in their life. God, something needs to change within them. And I pray that they would do that, and they would do it honestly and openly before you. Our Father that is in heaven that loves us so deeply, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just change us and shape us. Whatever way that comes, God, if it comes through pain, then so be it. God, I pray Lord, that you would do a transformative work in our lives and in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everyone please stand?